Hi, this is John Snyder for The Walk. Today we're talking to Sue Schlesman, a Christian author, speaker, blogger, English teacher, and pastor's wife. Sue has a passion for missions, for social justice, for traveling, writing, reading, and the local church. In today's episode, we're discussing her new award-winning book, Soul Speak, Praying Change into Unexpected Places. I'm very fortunate to have a long spiritual journey. My, um, I became a believer, a Christ follower, when I was barely four years old. Huh. My, um, my father was a believer um, in an unbelieving family and uh, married my mother, who was not a believer, and he was in the Navy, and so he was uh, he was a naval aviator, and he they moved around quite a bit in their early marriage and they ended up stationed in Rhode Island and became good friends with a couple who was, um, who were Baptists and who were strong believers. And my, that's when my dad started to grow because he had, they both came out of the Methodist church and didn't like they went to church, but they had not really grown up knowing how to be a believer or how to, sure. you know, or be discipled or any of that kind of thing. So, yeah. so my father started growing and then he had to ship out and my mom was stuck there. Um, she was an English teacher and kept going to church with this, with this other wife. And so my mom became a believer and then, um, they both grew, I think at a rapid rate because my mom's faith, it has, has been such a force in my life. My dad was killed and I, naval training mission Mm. only seven years into their marriage. So by that time they had two small children. I was two and my brother was four and my mother was only 31. And she, um, she was a, they were both college professors at that point at a state university. And she took, she stayed almost a year there and they were in Wisconsin. And then she moved to Minnesota to, to be an English professor at a very small Bible college and for like no money. Um, <laughs> and, but I think she knew, she knew in her spirit that she needed to be surrounded by believers and that she couldn't, she couldn't do this by herself. And so we grew up kind of in this little Christian bubble of this small campus experience. All of our, we went to public school, but all of our, you know, close friends were all other faculty children. There were a lot of kids our exact same ages, and we um, we all went to the same church. And it was a very strong, very conservative, um, fundamentalist, but very strong um, Bible background. And I just, I always knew God loved me. I always wanted Jesus as the center of my life. And I was drawn to it, and I think because our our little Christian experience was so authentic that I never was turned off by anything that had to do with the church or Christianity. And my mom never remarried. She was a um, super strong, um, independent person, and she just focused on us and the Lord and teaching, and that was it. And that we had a very simple, um, quintessential kind of life growing up in Minnesota. I want to talk a little bit about your book. Sure. It's called Soul Speak, uh, Praying Change into Unexpected Places. 
That's an intriguing title. And uh, let me just ask you some questions about, it's, it's a prayer book. And um, some people can ask these questions, and, and uh, I, th- I think if I've asked this question many times, and others have asked me, how can you make your prayer life more powerful and productive? What would you say to that? Yeah, I think um, there's a lot out on prayer, and yet people seem continually frustrated with it. Yeah. Because, as you said, we're we're praying and nothing's happening. We're asking God to do something. He's not doing it. We're asking to get out of something. It's not happening. At some point, we give up on the process and decide that, okay, either I'm not spiritual enough to make this prayer thing work, or maybe God isn't interested enough in me to help me. And we just, we start making assumptions about why this prayer channel isn't functioning. And over the course of my life, through marriage issues, through my father dying, and there's a whole story about how I found his crash site and went back and hiked it, and oh. my mother um, got dementia and then passed away. There's, you know, there's, we all have these things in our life that are crises moments mm-hmm. that really challenge us. And they challenge our faith. Do I really believe what I say I believe? Because we all believe that God's good when good things are happening. <laughs> but when something terrible happens and, and there's no relief from it, mm-hmm. then the natural inclination is, is to doubt that God is really good. And where is he and, now, too? You know, we're waiting for him to fix it so that we can, yeah, so that we can, you know, give testimony about it. God, heal me so that I can, and I'll tell everybody that you did it, you know, mm-hmm. um, as if that's what he needs from us. And so as I prayed through all of, all through my life and and made a study of prayer, I started noticing in scripture that everybody's prayers start the same way, whether it's Moses or David or Hezekiah or Jonah or, you know, Daniel. I mean, there's so many prayers in scripture and they always start with praise and they make this personal connection to God and then they're free to speak from their soul. So it's not just, hey, get me out of this. It's, God, you are good. You have always been good. You are great and holy, and I trust you. And I will. I know that you're going to redeem this situation. But if you could take care of this problem, <laughs> if it's your will, could you make this happen? And the requesting always came way later in the prayer. There was this acknowledgement of God's holiness first. And I found that to be pivotal for my life because when I come to God asking for something and I'm thinking about myself, I'm thinking what I want. That's a very idolatry, uh, idolatrous type of perspective. Mm -hmm. If I come to God saying, you are holy, you've already proven your love for me because you died for me and you saved me and you have done numerous things in my life. You don't have anything to prove to me. You don't have to answer this request so that I'll believe in you. Mm -hmm. You have, or you are who you are. And the holiness of God, which all through scripture, we have these images of, of God in the sanctuary. And, you know, in Psalms, like who can approach the throne of God, someone who's holy and somebody who's contrite and all these things. So if I am continually struck with the holiness of God, I can do nothing but fall on my face and say, use me, do whatever you want. Um, like Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a continual theme that the people who's got, who 
who are tied to the heart of God, that God answers their request. These are the people who, who bow at the throne and wait. They just wait in his presence. Mm-hmm. And they can say whatever they want to God because there's, there's no agenda. They're, there's, they're not rubbing the lamp for Aladdin to come out and give him <laughs> three wishes. They're not manipulating. They're not bargaining. If you do this, then I'll do this. I mean, right. there's some of that. But, but God's heart is always drawn to the pure, um, the pure motive. And to me, that concept of my soul speaking to God rather than my desires and my wants and my anger and my frustration or my um, faithlessness or whatever, that, that connection of the soul is what moves the heart of God. Yeah, that's that's. Uh, I want to follow up on that same question with another common one. Um, let's say when you uh, when you think your faith is waning, and you actually feel like God has abandoned you, what is your next prayer move? Well, what I have found to be so so helpful is the lament, and so all throughout Psalms, and there are other places too, but particularly Psalms, we have. David praying these prayers of God, what are you doing? Right. Kill my enemies. Make this stop. Like he he has the freedom to ask for anything and just to complain about anything. Yeah, he does. Because he starts and ends with but I know, but I know you're holy and I know you're and I know you're good. And so I think when we find that our prayers are not working so to speak or we're not seeing satisfaction to me, the, the go-to is pour out your frustration instead of complaining to everybody else or getting on Facebook and, you know, blaming somebody for something, sit in the presence of God and tell him how you feel, but do it with the knowledge that he's holy and he has nothing to prove. And he has broad, broad shoulders too, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I set up the book kind of like a stair step. It's seven types of prayer that we, the seven we find most in scripture. And I, I find that they kind of follow a natural order to transform our heart so that we can speak to God and so that we can actually hear him when he answers. So a lot of times we pray and we're like, I'm not hearing anything back. Well, probably my heart condition's not right. And that's why I'm not hearing. But um, so the seven prayers in soul speak are start with praise because when I acknowledge his holiness that change that changes my posture. The second prayer is confession. Once you're confronted with the holiness of God, then it's very obvious what's wrong with me. So secondly, confess. We know, you know, he all throughout scripture. Mm-hmm. If you don't confess your sins, the Lord won't hear you. Yeah. Praise, then confess. The third one is the lament. Now I'm free to say whatever because I'm not making excuses. I'm not, I'm not being manipulative. The fourth one is Thanksgiving. Uh, this is in the practical sense too. Sociologists will talk about this. It's in, it's in the Bible. But when I'm thankful for something that I already have, it kind of changes my perspective about what I think I should have. And so I find that when I'm thanking God for what he's already done for me, what he's already provided for me, it's a lot less hard to ask him for selfish things because I realize I don't need it. Like if I've gone through this process, my requests become more pure mm-hmm. if I'm thankful first. So 
The fourth one is Thanksgiving. The fifth one is request, which of course is the one most people just straight go to when they pray. Yeah, sure. The First sixth thing. one is intercession. And intercession is basically a request for someone else. Uh, we noticed, Shane and I noticed too, as we let God transform us and as we began this more emotive approach to praying with our souls open to God rather than coming with my little checklist, that we were hearing the Holy Spirit constantly about things that we should do on behalf of other people. You know, you're waking up in the middle of the night, pray for so-and-so. Um, people were popping into our heads all the time. And when we would check it out and go meet the need or show up on the door or give them a call, we would find out that something massive was going on. But if we had not been in that spirit of listening and waiting on the Lord and just being, you know, doing our 1000 things that we do at church, because we can all get busy. I'm too busy then to hear God speak. Mm -hmm. Like how does Elisha and Elijah and how do these, people in the Old Testament know to go to a spring, to show up at a widow's house, to, you know, to stop by the Shunammite's house. Like they're being directed by the Holy Spirit to meet needs because they're continually in this framework of prayer, really. They're in constant worship and receptivity to the Holy Spirit. So intercession then is, is the uh, sixth one. And then the last one is spiritual warfare. And I think spiritual warfare is where we see the power, which you see power everywhere, but that's where those are the stories we want to tell, you know, that um, the tumor vanishes, the, um, yeah. the car is totaled and a, a person is miraculously intact in the middle um, of the car. Mm-hmm. Spiritual warfare is the obvious manifestation of power. So that's kind of like the glitzy prayer. But really, if, if we're not adept at all of these other things, I don't know if we're really ready to face the devil and to call out angels yeah. on behalf of other people. I'd like to hear more about spiritual warfare and how you're dealing with that. Because many people out there, sure. they believe in Satan, they believe in satanic power, as most Christians do, but uh, they're not quite sure what to do about it. Yeah, and, and I, think there's, I think there's a lot of damage, too, that's been done in this area. Yeah. with snake charmers and televangelists and, you know, whatever. Like, I, um, I mean, we're, we're an Assemblies of God church. We're, yeah, we're in the charismatic movement, but we're, we would call ourselves conservative. They would probably call us liberal because we don't have crazy stuff happening in the service. And it's not that, that all things that seem crazy might not be authentic. I'm not saying that, but any denomination has people on either end in terms of spiritual warfare some denominations tend to try to just live on that on that end that's supernatural and adrenaline charged yeah, and you know, like is. this is yeah. all that we're here to do is we just we call a, a demon out of everything yeah. you know right. um, and everything that. is is in this is in this negative and, and we yes we we live in a spiritual world and there is warfare going on around us all the time that we are not noticing so my my thought from studying scripture and from watching all the interactions of spiritual warfare that take place. So you've got Jesus calling out demons, of course, Peter and Paul. There's a lot of spiritual warfare in Daniel all through the prophets. Elijah and Elisha have a lot of interactions. And what we see there, what we see in all these people's lives is more than a miracle taking place, which of course is what we're after. That's what we want is that they are actually stepping into 
um, what ta- Paul talks about in Ephesians 6 of, of putting on the spiritual armor and remembering that they're in a war. They're not going out and looking for a fight. I think there's, there's danger and foolishness in um, going out and looking for the devil to see what he's doing. We don't have to do that. He's, so, yeah. Yeah, he's ready there, isn't he? He's waiting by the door, so we yeah. don't have to go looking for him. And he's clever. So it's not, yeah. he's not going to manifest himself, I think, the way that, that people want to see. And when you read these stories of, of spiritual giants who are interacting and fighting in these kinds of battles, there's a lot of prayer. Like Jesus told his disciples when they couldn't cast out the demon, they're like, Lord, we couldn't do it. And he said, well, this comes out only by prayer and fasting. This, this is serious stuff. It's not, you're not just waving a little wand over somebody's problem. In Daniel, I think it's Daniel 10, um, Daniel is in prayer for a long time because that's what he does. He prays constantly. And an angel comes to him and says, I have been trying to get to you for 22 days. The um, prince of demons, and you can get the whole theology about talking about the hierarchy of angels and demons and so forth, but um, the prince of demons has been fighting me to keep me from coming to give you this message. And the message is, and then he tells the message. And so it's all about um, politically what's happening and how the devil is using kings and so forth to try to work against God's people. And, and you see these kinds of stories that there is, one of my favorite books is The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. And yeah. it's so clever because it gives this idea of the strategy that might be happening on the devil's side of things. He knows the Bible. He knows God's plan for redemption. He tries to stop it multiple times and can't do it. He knows the prophecy in Revelation and that he's going to be bound and gone into the lake of fire. And yet I feel like he's arrogant enough to think he can still beat it. And so he just, he just keeps at it. And so, you know, you watch man, human, human nature for thousands and thousands of years, you get really good at predicting the way people are going to behave. And so I, I don't think, I don't think Christians should be scared of the devil. Like he knows what you're thinking. He's not omniscient, but he's smart and he's shrewd and he knows what you're going to do given situations um, based on your, the choices that you make. He's, he's been around longer than we have. So he yeah. knows what he's doing. Yeah. So I think spiritual warfare is a couple of things. I think it's taking seriously that we are in a spirit, that a spiritual battle is waging over each one of us. There are angels waging war over each one of us. I think it's important to know that we have the power of the spirit. And we have been told multiple times in scripture that with God's power, we can defeat him. He is defeatable. God already defeated him. And then he will defeat him again. The, you know, you have just a breakdown of the armor. What does it take to defeat the devil? Well, I have to know the truth. I've got to stop um, being swayed by popular philosophy and popular theology that, oh, I just need to know myself or, you know, yeah. it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you believe in something. And, uh, you know, all of these Eastern thoughts that are infiltrating Christianity, um, I have to know the truth or I'm, I'm dead meat. He's got me. I have to be, I have to be pure and hard. I have to be vigilant. Um, I have to know the Bible. I have to pray. The spiritual armor, all the pieces of armor are defensive. 
Like yeah. the, the, the enemy is coming at us. We don't have to go looking for him. So, mm-hmm. you know, you've got the sword of the spirit, which is our, our greatest weapon, the word of God. And that's what Jesus used, right? So the devil sure. kept coming at Jesus and he would just quote scripture at him. And the devil would quote, quote scripture to him. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He knows it better than we do. Yeah. Let me just advance to this question here. This would be a, the, uh, one of the final questions. That is, why did you decide to write a book on prayer? What, what motivated yeah. that, that writing project? Well, I, I, I thought God ab- about it for a little bit because I thought, this is crazy. I'm a regular person. I'm a pastor's wife, a teacher. I mean, I do have my master's in theology now, but I didn't at the time. There's tens of thousands of books written on prayer. What do I have to say that's different from somebody else? And I don't know that that was even accomplished, but what I, what I did feel was imperative is that we Christians stop approaching prayer like a checklist. I go to church, check. Yeah. I pray at meals, check. I read my Bible, check. And then, man, forget this Christian thing. None of this is work. And, and we, check, we check out of the Christian yeah. life. And so it's not powerful. And then eventually people just give up on all of it. Prayer in Scripture is not about God giving us something else to do. It's the relationship he established in the garden that was lost that he wants back. It's, it's, a way, it's just a way for our hearts to join. And by being in relationship with him, there's really no other way to do it than prayer. Because when I'm praying, I'm vulnerable and I'm dependent. And that makes me willing to listen and obey. Um, all sure. the rest of it is really just good work. Which, which I can do on my own. I heard a good explanation of, the, uh, of Psalm 37, 4, which says, if you delight yourself in the Lord, uh, then he'll give you the desires of your heart. And so the key there is delighting ourselves in the Lord, mm-hmm. not, not what he's going to do for us or the, the benefits of him, but just the fact that he exists, that we, are, we, we marvel at him, we mm-hmm. uh, are, rejoice in his existence, his, his wonderful care and so on. And then in that relationship, in that new transformed relationship, he actually shapes um, what our desires are. And so then we are actually expressing desires that are more in line with his, his will and his purpose and his character. And I think we find that he answers uh, more often when we pray like that because it, it stems from this intense delight mm-hmm. that we have in God. Yeah. Um, that was from somebody else. I'm just passing that on. But um, I think that's something, what, something yeah. what you're saying. I think our suffering and our pain is uh, the gateway to the heart of God. I mean, Jesus suffered. He was called a man of suffering. I'm doing a lot of study right now on it. And, and in my own personal life, the times that I was closest to God, that I felt his, you know, his presence, like even a tangible presence felt him with me were the moments that I was the most desperate. And I believe that's why God allows um, our lives not to be perfect, because he wants us to seek him and find him. And we only do that when we realize that we can't handle things on our own. Mm-hmm. We, we really have this God complex, all of us, that, that we want to be self-sufficient. And um, sufficiency on him, in him, is what will grow your faith. Uh, otherwise, I don't really need faith if I'm capable of doing things on my own. Sure. So I think the prayer is just an, a, a beautiful avenue for growing spiritually. I don't think you can grow spiritually without a fervent and vulnerable prayer life. 
because the rest of it is just doing good things. I mean, every religion has that, but nobody else can offer a a one-on-one with the God who created the universe. And that's what we have when we pray. We have total access. We can be completely honest and vulnerable and upset. And uh, the, the connection during those moments is what sustains us through the hard times, through the deaths and the grief and the betrayal and the disappointment and, you know, financial trouble and sickness and whatever the issue is. We, will, we all know that we have suffering and yet somehow we're always surprised when it happens to us. And the key is that's just, God's just giving us an opportunity to dig in deeper and know him better. And when we do that, it makes us stronger. And then when the next thing happens that's difficult, we approach it with stronger faith and we get through that. And then we grow more and then we handle the next thing. And so rather than looking at life as a series of bad things that happen, we can look at life as a series of opportunities for which God met us personally and carried us through it, which is a whole lot better way to look at life. You've been listening today to our special guest, Sue Schlesman, discussing her new book, Soul Speak, Praying Change into Unexpected Places. You can find out much more about her work and read her extensive writing at sueschlesman.com. Thanks for joining us today. Please watch for more conversations with other writers and Christian leaders from around the world. Again, this is John Snyder for The Walk. So long for now.